0: brings us to chapter 11, verses 19, and I'm gonna read through verse 26 for you today. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And it was there at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.
1: Thank you, McKenzie. Good morning, everybody. If you're visiting today, my name is Ben. Danny, are we doing lunches today? We are. We got lunches after the service. Greek salad. Greek salad. That's good. There are water bottles right there in the blue and red coolers if you are warm. I'm on a strobe light here. I'm about to do my dance moves, so that's good. <laughs> I missed you last week. Uh, I, was at a, uh, I was able last weekend to go see one of my favorite uh, musical productions in the country right now. I got to go to a concert. There were 27 plus thousand people there, so a very big concert. And there was this moment, and, I, and it'll tie right into where I want to go today here. There's this moment, I've been listening to this band since I was quite a bit younger, So I know they're different songs, and they played the first notes to a song they sing called Divided Sky, and this is at the Gorge Amphitheater, which fans of this band will say that amphitheater was made for that song, so we heard the first notes. 30,000 people just start cheering, and as they start to play it, now this this song is about 30 minutes long, and there's five lyrics to the whole thing. (laughs) There's a lot of music playing, and as it's playing and going, I'm just swept up in this moment. It feels so freeing. I remember the different times in my life where I've heard it before, it's familiar, it's amazing. And it feels for that 20 minutes or so that the cares and anxieties of the world have sort of dissipated. I'm in a different world. It's helped me to move to a different spot. You ever feel that way with certain worship songs? You come to church, and we engage in worship. And especially if you've been in the church for some time, certain songs can transport you to a time or a place, even a person. They can sort of remind you of the community you belong to, and not only that, but more especially, remind you of the Jesus we serve. There are certain songs that we sing that really are worshipful. I would suggest that sometimes, in a negative way, this secular band that I really like Almost, I wonder, am I starting to worship these guys? There's this worshipful feeling that we have. I want to ask about, I don't think it's wrong to sing worshipful songs to Jesus. (laughs) If I did, it would just be weird. I think that's a really good thing. But answer this. Is there a difference between worshiping Jesus and following Jesus? I think there is. I think you know there is. Which one would you prefer to do? I think they're similar, but I think we know that they're not the same. To worship, I think of giving my attention to, being in awe of, being amazed by, swept up in that worshipful state. I am amazed. I'm going to give praise. I'm going to cheer to Jesus. I'm going to worship him. To follow is to live like Jesus actually lived. And it's kind of crazy. You read the New Testament through a hundred times. Carefully read it. And tell me how many times you find Jesus inviting you to worship him. It'll be a big whomp and zero. Tell me how many times you find Jesus saying, stand up and follow me. You'll find quite a bit of that. Isn't that interesting? Jesus seems very interested in us following him. Think of one of your favorite Olympic athletes. We watch the Olympics now and again. Would you rather worship them or follow their way of life? I like watching Michael Phelps swim and win gold medals like crazy. He wins gold medals That's just easy to him. I love watching him do that. I also like watching him while I sit on my couch and eat Doritos (laughs) because it's amazing. I said, Michael Phelps, you're just an amazing guy. I like a cold beverage and a TV screen, and I can watch his facial expressions when he's listening to whatever he listens to on his iPod. But if Michael Phelps invited me to stand up and follow him into his daily practices and workouts, to share in his ultra-healthy diet regimen, to dedicate every single weekend and every single weekday for the next four years to just swim training, I'd be like, thank you, Michael Phelps, but I don't want my Doritos to go bad. So I gotta stay home, you do that, I'll worship you. I don't really wanna follow you, though. I think worship in our world today, we've all grown up in what some might have called a Christian nation in years past. We've grown up in a world where churches exist on street corners all over the place. The symbol of the cross is not new to us. In fact, many of us have grown up in a world where going to church is seen as a positive thing. Worship in our world is rather harmless And costless, isn't it? It's easy to be in awe of God. It's easy to have that loving feeling toward Him when you think about Jesus or you attend a worship service. Sometimes these services or these gatherings can be little more than just a feel-good boost to help me get through the week. I think today we face a great challenge. I think Central Bible has been facing this challenge for a couple decades We know that following Jesus includes doing the kinds of things he does. I think it's safe to say that all of what Jesus does could be summed up in he is bearing witness to truth, to what's real. He comes into this world to teach us all number of things, but all of it is he's bearing witness. He becomes a witness to us. So we say, Following Jesus, if he's the kind of guy who's always bearing witness to the truth, then that would be something I, too, am very interested in doing, what I follow him, what I follow in his practice, in his daily regimens. Where he finds lies, he exposes them, and he's willing to say, "Yeah, that's false." When he sees people being treated like animals, he shows love and dignity to them. Even though many of the world's rules say they don't deserve it, he says, yeah, they do. Why? They're people. They're humans. He honors all human beings, especially those who are socially rejected and bad and dirty. He seems to really, really love and care for those folks. He says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And by doing so, he's literally being a witness to the way of life. He's a witness to what's actually real. He lives it. So if real humanity is about judging and condemning others, then that's what we would expect Jesus to be doing all the time. If real humanity, being alive, is about showing flexibility and grace and patience and love toward others, then we would expect Jesus to be doing that all the time. And I'll tell you what, that's what Jesus is doing all the time. That's his way of saying, that's what makes you alive. Does that favorite worship song that makes you feel abandoned from the anxieties and the problems of this world that takes, that sweeps you up into a different and more beautiful world, do you get that same feeling When you love a neighbor who doesn't deserve your love. This is the change. This is the movement of the Holy Spirit, I think, in our church and in our hearts and minds. I want us, as a pastor of this community, I want us to become a people who get just as ecstatic and swept up into the otherworldly kingdom of God when we get a chance to forgive a neighbor for wrongdoing. Sometimes we like to say, well, Jesus forgives all our sins, parentheses, thank God I don't have to, <laughs> you know. But Jesus says, I'm so send I you to be my presence in the world. I send you out to extend my presence and forgiveness and grace. Could we become a people who get just as excited about doing that? As we do about hearing our favorite song again. It's amazing. Here's what I've heard through much of my church experience. I kind of ask what prevents us from living or following Jesus. I've heard this. You, Ben, you're a Christian now? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay. You need to get out there and witness for Christ. All right. You need to share your gospel. Not your gospel, Jesus' gospel. That was a mistake. I don't care about your gospel. (laughs) Share Jesus' gospel with the world. That's very important. Uh, You need to share the gospel with your neighbor. You need to get out there and be a witness. And then I hear what that means. I hear old stories about how we used to carpet bomb whole neighborhoods with pamphlets packed with all kinds of favorite verses and laws that we called spiritual how we used to rent buses and drive around and pick up children in neighborhoods and bring them in. We say, okay, that's cool. If I do that kind of stuff now, I go straight to prison. What am I supposed to do? I can't make it the 70s again, I'm sorry. How do I bear witness for Jesus in this world today? Almost every time I hear a conversation about how Christians need to be doing more witnessing, The instinctive thing that I imagine is me awkwardly telling strangers about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And I say to myself, I don't want to go up to a random stranger who doesn't know me and doesn't know Jesus and tell them that they're sinful and that somebody they don't know died for them. It's just an awkward thing to say in our world today. So I feel hesitant. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong in any kind of way to tell people that Jesus died for their sins. Don't hear me saying that. But I suspect I'm not the only one who sort of feels that pressure. You're supposed to be bearing witness, and then it's like, I can't do it the way they did it in the 70s. Half of that just doesn't work anymore. And I, uh, what do I do? Then they say, just do it. And I don't. And I feel guilty. And then I just sort of say, well, I will belong to a group of people who have other people doing the witnessing part. And I'll say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, which means I'm good. I don't have to do that. But this isn't a call to people who have the spiritual gift of evangelism. What God calls us to is Christianity, I think that Stephen, we've seen Stephen's story in these opening chapters of Acts. I think Peter, I think Cornelius, I think all of these early followers of Christ thought the same thing back in the first century when they were thinking, how are we supposed to bear witness to Jesus in this world? How are we supposed to do this? What's the gist of it? And they each found an answer, and it wasn't the same outworking. They didn't all do the same exact things. They did different things. But they did the same thing in general. That's what I want to talk about. They did the same back in the first century. They each found an answer in terms of how to bear witness. And notice this up front. It did not make their lives more pleasurable, Unless getting mocked and beaten up and stoned to death is your jam, it's, that's not, it wasn't a better life for them, but it did bring them into the mission of Jesus, and therefore it brought them into true life. If you're a human being who longs for deeper, fuller, truer life, there isn't one that's deeper, fuller, or truer than the actual life that's on mission with Jesus. That's really important. So they each bore witness in different ways, but here's the common thread I wanna show you this morning. I think every every Christian has to ask this question for herself or for himself, and that is, how do I show the love of Jesus, the saving truth of Jesus, and the way of Jesus to my neighbor? The way, the truth, and the life. How do I show this to my neighbor? And I think every Christian, however this plays out in their life, bears witness by being with people and by gracing people or giving to people. Grace, the root of that whole idea of grace, is gift, giving. We'll talk about that more this morning. Giving. Sometimes we think of grace as I often heard when I'm teaching a class and somebody comes up and says, hey, I didn't do any homework at all, but I need an A to pass. Can you show me grace? And the, the idea is I did terrible things, but I'm still getting something awesome. All right, That's part of grace for sure. Uh, we call it unmerited favor, but it's just a part. The deep concept, the action of grace is gift-giving So what all Peter and Stephen and Paul, all these apostles, everything we see doing, I think you can sum up as they're willing to be with the other and to grace the other. You want to bear witness to your neighbor. It's not going to be by throwing Christian books over your fence into their yard so they have good stuff to read. It's going to be by taking your fence down and saying, why don't you come sit at my table? I actually love you because God made you and you're awesome. Yeah? It's an amazing difference. Okay. So, I want to go back to the text Mackenzie read already. I want to look at what's happening more closely. Let's first start with just the first three verses, starting in 19. And uh, there's some great, great stuff to see here. Verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen. Remember, Stephen got persecuted, and after they stoned him to death, everybody's like, oh, dang. Uh... It's time to get out of town for a while, it's a little vacation, so they kind of scatter, they roll out, and it says here that they go as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one but Jews, Jewish people, receive a message from Jesus, a Jewish Savior, about how God came to bless and save the Jews, makes very good sense to keep preaching that good news to the Jewish folks, and that's where we've seen it taking place, primarily, but we've started to see already in the first stories of Acts how this gospel is not just for one kind of ethnicity, one kind of heritage, or one kind of people group. It's going to go further than that. That's a big deal. Verse 20, we see that happening. But, so everybody's going out, they're speaking to the Jews, but there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene among them who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord, okay, okay, the word's going out, a bunch of people scattered, some are preaching to the Jews, but here, unnamed, isn't that interesting, this is a major moment in the church, we never know who did it. Let that be a lesson if you're hoping to be recognized for all of your good works in church. It's not about us getting recognized. It's about carrying on the mission of Jesus. So these people from Cyprus and Cyrene are told what Luke tells us, but there were some who went beyond the Jewish community. And there's a big kind of wink and a nod right there, like, huh, 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 see what's happening? Now, for us, that is not very abrasive. We're Americans, and it's 2018, so we don't really care that they started speaking to the Greeks. In fact, we think, well, that probably just makes sense. We think that uh, when something starts small and grows big, that's a good thing. If there's a good message, get the word out to everybody. That's a great thing, right? We don't even think much about it. But if you roll back into the heart and the mindset of a first-century Jewish person from the mid-40s A.D., right, the early first century, you would start to hear something, uh, you would feel something very differently about that notion that they moved from just preaching to the Jews to the Greeks. You would say to yourself, oh, that is a huge deal. It's insane. This was a kind of concern for fellow human beings that the world was utterly shocked by. These unnamed men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch, thank you, Danny. (laughs) Got a fan from heaven blowing up from the floor, and it was great. All right. Sorry, that just threw me way off. They're shocked. This is a big deal. The Jewish folks are on purpose stepping into what would be a pagan world to help them and love them. That's a kind of love that we haven't seen yet. So that's a big deal. This love had more power than their instinctive fear toward their neighbor. Do you have an instinctive fear toward other people? I hope you do. If you don't, you're kind of dumb. Human beings are the absolute most dangerous creatures on the planet, right? We have real reason to be afraid of each other. So if you're afraid of talking to new people or engaging with new people or if new people move into your neighborhood and you have no idea who they are and you feel fear, that's just because you're a normal person. But when that becomes what drives you, you step outside of the powerful love of God. The love of God overwhelms that natural fear. We all have it. It's not trying to eradicate that. It's trying to learn that this love Jesus showed us went over that fear boundary and ended up getting him killed, and he rose from the dead. That's why resurrection is the crucial teaching of Christian belief. We don't actually have anything to fear. It can't be taken from us. Okay. Now, think about love this way. It's a rugged commitment to be with someone. You can see then how bearing witness to God's love is also bearing witness. Throw an H in the middle of witness, and you get a great way of understanding how am I supposed to bear witness to Jesus? And be with people, not separated from. Be willing to love them in their difference and in their sin. He was bearing withness. Notice how verse 21 teaches us that the hand of the Lord was with them. You want to be on mission with Jesus, he is with you. John says if you abide in him, he abides in you. It's a great relationship. So when you join the mission of Jesus, he's with you. Could we start saying then that being a Christian... Is living every day with Jesus. Each day you wake up, you say, I'm going to live in relationship to other people the way that I see Jesus living in relationship to other people. I think God's showing us something in these early stories about the church and how it formed, how it grew. In these people from Cyprus and Cyrene, we see followers of Jesus who refuse to care about cultural barriers. They're breaking down awkwardness and fear with courage. They know that God is with them and he's there with them for the purpose of saving their neighbor. This is just the heart of what it means to follow Christ. Now, watch how the story continues. We'll go back to the text, verse 22. A report about them the Cyprus and the Cyrene folks, there's a report that goes out and it came to the attention of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch, All right. Apparently they thought it would be good for Barnabas to be with them. So they send Barnabas to Antioch. This is Antioch in Syria, just north of Israel, not Antioch in Turkey, up right. Just up the, up the way. Verse 23, when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts, because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a significant number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. He thought Paul should come down and be with them as well. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and they taught a significant number of people. Now, it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. We've said this before. The very earliest followers of Jesus just called themselves followers of the way. We're the kind of people who live a certain way, and it's the way that Jesus of Nazareth taught us. Christianos or or taking Christos and adding what would be R-I-A-N to the end of it was kind of pejorative. It was almost a condescending nickname from the culture around them. Yeah, those, those are the… Uh, it would be like we do this with other famous people today, you know, we kind of say those are the people who follow that person. But the Christians thought let's just use that. It's not that terrible of a condescending nickname, and it's kind of who we are. We're the kinds of people who follow the Messiah. Christos means Messiah, so it might be like Messiah-ians, messiah or whatever. It It was their way of saying this is a good label that describes the essence of who we are, Christ followers. These men and women lived then like the Messiah did, and I think that they face the same kind of challenges we do today. Consider, if you will, for a moment, Antioch. Antioch and Syria, probably uh, one of the three major cities in that world. Uh, behind Rome and Athens, you have Antioch. is a huge cultural hub. It's about 15 miles back from the Mediterranean. You have huge trading crossroads going through it. You can ship out of it. It's amazing. It was a lovely town, city, very cosmopolitan. It was known for a kind of luxurious immorality. Uh, Antioch was kind of, the big goddess worship there was of Daphne. The story in Greek mythology is that Apollos fell in love with Daphne. He loved her so that he wanted to preserve her and as all men who wanna preserve their women do, he turned her into a laurel bush. So there were lots of laurel bushes growing all around the city and the temple for Daphne. And part of the religious worship included lots of sexual practice. And so that infiltrated the whole culture. So you have a town that's known for being wealthy. It's known for being a, a, a town where loose living and just sort of sensual licentiousness is just acceptable, normal, virtuous even, and good. It's known for a way of life that we would probably see as fairly dark, maybe spiritually oppressive. I think there were some parallels. If you study ancient Antioch in this day, you'll read through it and you'll just kind of be like, it doesn't sound all that different than modern Portland. It's funny, because when I came out here from the Midwest and I heard Christians talk about Portland, all I heard about was the loss, the oppression, It's unchurchedness. It's such a dark city. It's all that kind of stuff. That was the way we looked at it. I didn't hear people say things like, man, that's the perfect place to start a really great church that loves Jesus and bears witness for the gospel. Notice this, what we're reading here in Acts chapter 11, this is is sort of the ground zero. This is the place where the church really takes root in a culture that's not Judaism. It takes a huge jump forward toward becoming a worldwide reality here out of Antioch. This was the context in which Christianity began to flourish among the Gentiles. I think that makes us reconsider Portland. I want you to reconsider Portland and Central Bible Church together as friends. What does it look like for us as a church to really see, man, We literally, 2,000 years after the fact, are living the same life Jesus did in Jerusalem and living the same life these guys are living in Antioch, facing the same kinds of challenges. This this city is a perfect city for the gospel to take root and go forth. It's what's driving our church right now, I think, this church here, this local church, Central, is we come out of the fog of several years of difficulty and change, we're building a church that will minister the grace of God to this city. I don't know what you wanna be a part of in this world. I don't know what you hope to accomplish. But I'll tell you what, that is worth being a part of. We can save money and we can get degrees and we can buy houses and we can do all that stuff. I don't think any of that matters as much as being a part of the eternal mission of God to love and care for other people. And sometimes the way Portland is disheartens us unnecessarily. We've got to get back with Jesus and remember, we're with the most powerful, loving God. Portland is a perfect place to build an amazing church. Now notice this, their witness, again, is seen through their willingness to be with. The Bible tells us that they were speaking to people. Yes, they came and spoke to them. And it tells us that Barnabas came to teach them for an entire year. Don't you want to know what he said to them? What did he teach them? We know it was the gospel. But I want to know what exactly he said. What was it that worked so well? The Scriptures actually aren't interesting us. They don't tell us what he said. They tell us that he was there and how long he was there, and in the previous stories we've learned that they're sharing meals and they're sharing life with people. The Scriptures, what they want us to focus in on is the fact that they went to be with them more than they want us to know what they said to them. Isn't that cool? That should help us feel a little bit okay, like, okay, this is not just Ben's idea. This is actually in the Bible. The New Testament wants you to see that these first people broke the cultural barriers to be with Gentiles. Then Barnabas comes in to be with them for a year. It's certainly to teach them but the content doesn't seem as important. Are we interested, are you and I interested in being with people who don't know Jesus? You say, man, I wanna spend my time today. Is it just an autumn? I love being with Christians, I love it. I wouldn't come here if I didn't. Do I love being with people who don't know Jesus just as much? Does that light me up the same way my favorite worship song does? When we think of all the men and women and young people in our neighborhood who do not worship God, they have no concept of church life, they don't live according to the morals that we hold dear, do we instinctively think, I want to be with them? Or do we instinctively think, I need to steer clear of them? They're bad. They're dirty, and I especially need to keep my kids away from them. Think of how early I was taught to stay away from people all my whole life. They're bad, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad, everything. That was all the concept I was given. The gospel has had to melt that down in my head, melt that heart of stone that I was given as a child. I've had to really work hard to think differently about other people, and thank you, Jesus, for helping us do that. Imagine God's heart. Imagine God. This is how Paul always frames it up for us. He's just like, just look at how, if you have a problem with loving people who are sinful and, and not like you, think about God and you. <laughs> Imagine a God who's looking at us from his world of holiness, cleanliness, perfection, a world with no lies, no violence, nothing filthy, nothing. That's where he lives. If all the beings in his world live, with Him, and they worship Him. And then He sees us wrecking His creation left and right so we can make more money, slaughtering one another left and right, rebelling against Him, even hating Him, participating in endless sin and violence and chaos. That's how we live in this world. And what does God do to us? He says, I'm going to become Emmanuel, God with you. I'm going to enter your world. I'm going to live as your neighbor. I'm going to eat chicken with you. We're going to drink iced tea. I'm going to tell you my story. We'll even have Jello and fans. It's going to be great. He comes to live with us. Why? So we can know his grace in a way that changes every part of our human existence. It doesn't just change our beliefs. We can taste it. We'll take communion here in a few minutes. We're gonna eat a piece of bread and taste some grape juice. This tangible reminder that God is present with us. He came, He is. This witness is really key to what it means to bear witness. He joins us in our lives so we can know Him truly and deeply. And He, he wants us to know Him Truly and deeply, so that we can help others to know him in the same way. I think that being with people and showing grace to people are two sides of the same coin. You can't be with a group of people or another people unless you show grace to them or unless they're you exactly. <laughs> and nobody is you. Nobody likes everything you like. Nobody worships the same way you worship. Nobody believes the same way you believe. There's nobody like you. So for you to be with another being means that you have to be gracious. You have to let go of the desire to be the, the, the false idea that you can only be really connected to people who are just like you. It's not right. The love of God transcends that barrier. Many people today, I think, are all alone even though we live in a place like Portland which is fast-paced and filled with people. There are a lot of studies right now that talk about loneliness as being rampant, especially for my generation and below, which is the oddest thing because I can talk to somebody in Japan live right now if I want. I I have connectivity but loneliness is huge. Many people are alone even though they attend church and live in a big city and spend full days with customers and lots of coworkers. The kind of withness that we're talking about is not just gathering together. So I've mentioned that, opening our table, having dinners and so forth. But now I want to I say, you know, right now, you're surrounded by a lot of people. Do you feel any loneliness in your personal life right now? I'm married happily. I love Allie, and I love you, and my family, and my children, my neighbors. I feel alone in this world sometimes. I know you do as well. Being with one another, then, requires more than social gathering. It requires a willingness to love and revere the other deeply in the way God does. You know what I mean. You know what it's like to be with somebody who doesn't really care about you, but they're in the same room as you? And you know what it's like to be with somebody who you know really loves you and really cares about you no matter what? It changes you, doesn't it? You wanna be there. If we live that way with all of our neighbors, Guess where they want to hang out? They want to hang out with Jesus' people, and you can't be that way without a tremendous amount of grace. That's why I think the title of this sermon is Bearing Withness Through Grace. You have to be gracious. Notice, Barnabas walks into first century Antioch with all of its insanity going on. The room is filled with a crowd of Gentiles, none of whom, by, by nature, know anything about the Jewish laws or the rights. They don't know anything about Jewish rules about sexuality. The rules about clothing and food and alcohol consumption and all that kind of stuff. Even if they do know about them, they don't live by them. I'm sure Barnabas saw all kinds of brokenness and stuff he was not used to, stuff that weirded him out. But they're all turning to faith in Jesus. And that is what Barnabas can see. That seems to be what he looks at. That's what he cares about. What do you and I care about the most? What's most important to us? Are we most interested in a purified and sanitized community? Or are we most interested in a community of neighbors who are one by one in their slow but sure ways turning to Jesus? I guarantee this group of Antioch, Antiochian Christians, and right at this time, they're not coming in and, you know, well, doing all the stuff that makes them a good, proper Christian. But Barnabas sees the faith of God being embraced by them. He walked into Antioch, and it says in verse 23 that he saw the grace of God, the gift of God at work there. He saw it happening, he saw Jesus working in the church. For Barnabas to be able to see that, he had to be a man of humility and faith. So if you say something like, man, I just can't see where God is working in this town, I would invite you to humble yourself and have faith in God. If all you see in the church is problems and wreckage and a loss and all these things are shutting down and I don't oh, it's just such a problem, and you're unable to see how God is working in this community... Take the example of Barnabas who walks into the church in Antioch in the first century and says, whoa, this is awesome. These people are turning to Jesus. That's fantastic. That's the heart that I want us to embrace. Women and men who are full of the Spirit are patient, humble. They have faith and they can see the grace of God at work. Barnabas sees it. Women and men who are full of the Spirit have their fears eclipsed by the love of Jesus who showed them how to work. He showed them how to praise. He showed them how to trust that they were truly instruments of His will and His work. They were true instruments, part of His mission. That's cool. I want to be that kind of church. I want to lead that kind of church. Notice the little anecdote. Give me five more minutes here. If you need water, it's right there. Five more minutes to look at the, here's one anecdote that Luke gives us to sort of say, see, see what happened to these guys? This is how it changed them. We talk a lot about transformation here and the way that the Bible doesn't just teach us to think new things. It changes who we are. Look at what happens. Verse 27 through 30. There's just four verses here. At that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. The Jerusalem church really wants to help Antioch. It's cool, isn't it? They wanna go be with them to help them. They're sending teachers. Here comes a prophet. One of them, verse 28, is named Agabus. He got up and he predicted by the spirit that a severe famine was gonna come over the whole inhabited world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Okay, pause for a second. Imagine we're here in Portland. And a prophet, and you know he's telling the truth, comes in and says, Hey, you're about to lose your income. You're about to start starving to death. It's going to start to get really, really, really ugly for you and your well-being pretty quick here. What's your first reaction? Right? Okay. Here's their reaction, verse 29. They heard this, and so the disciples, each in accordance with his financial ability, decided to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. They did so, sending their financial aid to the elders through Barnabas and Saul." You see it? They hear, we're about to suffer a massive famine, i.e., people are about to be starving to death in our world. What do you suppose their first instinct was? I mean, now that I think this actually was their first instinct, fear. What would ours be? It would be fear. The action rooted in fear is to preserve your self, to make sure you and yours have got what you need, right? That's the instinct. Protect, preserve. You only have one life. How are you going to survive? Our instinct would be to survive. But instead of first caring about how to keep themselves alive, they say, whoa, famine's coming. We've got to make sure that the people who are going to get hit harder by this have what they need. Already God is starting to turn their heart to be outwardly focused toward the well-being of others and they decide that they're going to become gracers, givers. They have been shown great grace. God has sent people to be with them, to be present with them. It's changed them. Now they extend grace to others. Is it not a beautiful concrete picture of how the gospel is changing them, is registering? Luke gives us that picture of the most unlikely candidates seeing the truth of Jesus and then living into his way of life and gracing other people. Why is this so hard for us to do? It's hard to do. That's great to talk about. I love, this is a perfect place to talk about it. I stand here, no problems, I have water and a fan. It's fantastic. When it comes down to the concrete streets of dealing with my neighbor across the street who's addicted to methamphetamines, kicking my garbage can over, and even yelling at my wife, and I'm terrified. How do I live this out? Why is it so difficult? I think, you bear with me here, I think that the biggest reason that it's difficult for me is seen in the language of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That was the framework for all of Christianity I was given. I was told this is the most important thing, that you have your best personal relationship with Jesus. That's how you're saved. We've all been taught, therefore, to one degree or another, that to be a Christian is to always agree with certain beliefs and to attend church. Agree with certain beliefs and then go worship. That means that believing and worshiping are the two most central components to all of what it means for me to call myself a Christian. To think I will come alive if I give myself to my neighbor in grace. It's pretty foreign to us. That's not something that was built into my way of thinking. Instead, I think, I will come alive if they play my personal favorite hymn or worship song. I will come alive if I do my personal devotions and read my personal Bible a lot. Then that's where I'll come alive. And I think that reading your Bible and devotions and worshiping are all really, really good things, but we have left out the following actually living this way toward neighbors, and in leaving that out, many of us feel like we're not really there with God, and probably rightly so. Let's join His mission. I think those things I mentioned were good, but consider this morning what life would look like if Jesus's willingness to be with His neighbor entered into your own heart and soul. Pray this morning that Jesus would help you to see others like he does. Those people from Cyprus and Cyrene, they had to be afraid as they stepped into Antioch, started sharing meals with people who, for their entire lives, they were told to stay away from. They had to be afraid, and yet they came alive. They became less worried about money, which the Scripture shows us. They became more interested in love and life. Luke has given us just a glimpse into the way that big chains in their life were being broken. It's a picture of people being set free. During these coming years here, we're going to continue practicing the life of Jesus more fully. We're not going to just be in awe of how great God is and what He can do. We are going to be that, but not just that. We're actually going to join Him in what He is doing and I could say so much more. <laughs> I just want to leave it there. Here's a great quote. I think that captures it all, and then I'll pray. It's from a guy named Richard Rohr, he says this. Jesus said, follow me. But we avoided that by making the message into something he never said. Worship me. Worshiping Jesus is rather harmless and costless now. Following Jesus would change everything. Let's pray. Father, you are in heaven, and we are on earth. But you haven't left us here alone, and we're thankful for that. You haven't steered clear of us in order to preserve yourself. Instead, you allowed yourself to suffer even unto death, in order to be with us. God, as the pastor of this community, on behalf of every Christian here, I ask that through your Spirit you would strengthen us in confidence. As we feel fear toward our neighbors, please transform this. God, you can transform this. We trust you can transform this into a confidence in your ability to teach and train and change all human beings. Help us to trust that you can do that so we don't feel like we have to. And I ask that you would humble us. Help us to shed faith in ourselves or faith in our favorite human beings so that we can be faithful to you and humble before all people. In this way, Jesus, we trust that we will see your work in this world and we are committed to being a part of it. We've grown tired of the false promises of this world and we are ready to live in your reality and in your love and in your amazing grace. Thank you so much for loving us. We love you and we trust you as well. Amen.
0: We desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.